Welcome to No BS Engineering, the podcast for developers around the world who care about their careers. Join us as we share ideas, war stories, and talk with special guests about how developers can up their game and move their career forward. Hey everyone, this is No BS Engineering. I'm here with my friend Kyle Evans, and today we are going to discuss how to prepare for your first engineering job. I know that many of you, and based on the feedback that we've been receiving, based on comments and reviews and everything else, which we are super grateful for, we know that many of you are just starting your career or during the first one or two years working as software engineers. And we are extremely happy talking about how to land a job as a software engineer, how to wrap up an internship and close it as a software engineering job, and essentially how to find your place as early as possible and continue contributing and learning and, of course, getting paid for it in the meantime, which is probably the sweetest thing ever. Now, I remember that my first software engineering job opportunity was uh, pretty great because I was undergoing a training course, which was paid and you know, I was really happy to kind of attend it. And after the training course, they were actually looking for assistant trainers and assistant speakers and things like that. And they said, well, how about that? We are going to pay for your next training session, which was about five or six months of extra training. And in the meantime, you should keep helping us train the new troops, which is essentially the courses that I've just graduated at. And of course, you are going to get an offer so that you can keep practicing software engineering so that you can actually teach some practical skills and not just the theory that you were essentially studying up front. It was a wonderful opportunity. I was probably spending 12 hours a day just uh, working and learning and reading and, and debugging and trying to solve different problems. But it really bootstrapped my career. And again, it was a, 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 an interesting quick hack to, to be able to land a job, which, which to be honest was the pretty young age. And this is just one of the many ways that you can start a software engineering job. And today yeah. our goal is to actually help you find and discover different ways to prepare yourself for this job, uh, such as this one. Kyle, what's the best advice you can give to someone who's looking for a new, the, their first software engineering job? Oh man, I, I'm a horrible example for this. First of all, I gotta say happy Hawaiian shirt day. It's, it's Hawaiian shirt day. We're both wearing our shirts today. So um, I, I'm a horrible example for this. And this drives my wife up the wall, the lovely and talented um, Kathy. I knew when I was 14 years old what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to program computers. I went over to a friend's house for a sleepover one night. He had an old TRS-80 Model 1. And mm. he could, he'd written a program where he could use the cursor to move the um, cursor around on the screen. And if you hit the space bar, it lit that cursor up and he called it a drawing program. <laughs> and I, I knew at that point, this is what I want to do. I want to make computers do what I want them to do. Um, and, and so, you know, I. I had a singular focus growing up. This is what I wanted to, I, back, uh, this, I used to work at a theater that was right next door to a Radio Shack computer center back when they had those. Mm -hmm. And they had a big training lab. And I conned the manager at the training lab into letting me have free computer time. So I'd come into work an hour early and go spend time on their computers because I didn't have access to any computers, but I had their computers. And, you know, it was just, I knew this is what I was going to do. So preparing for me was everything that I did growing up. 
if I'm talking to somebody who doesn't have this singular myopic focus, and by the way, it's not nearly as cool as it sounds, okay? Um, you, you, I get ridiculed a lot because everything to me looks like a computer problem. But mm -hmm. if I'm talking to people that are just getting started, the, the thing I tell them is you can learn and spend time in books and blogs and, um, and, and watching videos and all this, and I, I fully support all that because I love training people, but there's no substitute for sitting down and writing code and sitting down and writing code every day. And if that means you've got to stay up 30 minutes late at night after everybody's gone to bed, that's fine. If you want to do this, you will find time because we make time for the things we want to do. So if this is important to you, if you really want a career in programming, then make the time. And I had a friend of mine back in the, um, this was early 80s or late 80s, early 90s. And uh, back when computers were just starting to ramp up, we didn't have the internet yet, but computers were just starting to take off. And he was in college and he was working part-time uh, at my parents' company. And he said, hey, I'm switching my major to computer science. I said, really, why? He says, oh, I think we're gonna, I, I makes a lot of money on there. And I've been <laughs> programming now for professionally for five, six years. And I said, do you love coding? No, but it's good money. I said, you won't last. I said, if you don't love it, don't do it because it's the most frustrating thing in the world if you don't love doing this stuff. Um, and uh, sure enough, uh, he, he switched his major six months later. So he said, yeah, I, I, I can't do this. <laughs> if you love coding, it is the greatest career in the world. If you don't love coding, it is going to be an eternal slog. So make sure you know why you're going into it. Knowing is cool. Sharing knowledge is even cooler. In my book, Uncle Cal's Career Advice for Developers, I share with you five of the most important pieces of career advice I've learned. Get your copy today by pointing a browser at bit.ly slash Uncle Cal. I want to share this knowledge with you. That's my advice. Absolutely. So one of the one of the primary things we try to assess during interviews, even for juniors and interns and, and kind of starting roles, is passion or in our terms, this means geekiness. And kind of you know, some of the things we ask are like for example, like what does your like do you use a desktop computer? Like what does it look like? What does it you know essentially we're trying to see if someone is really interested in assembling their own machine if they really enjoy trying to you know, try on the latest RAM or trying the latest CPU cooler for their machine, just some type of geekiness. Or if someone just mentions Arduino or Raspberry Pi or something, I'd say, well, that's interesting. What did you do? Like, what was the, the project to try to, to, to kind of play with? You know, Internet of Things or even some robotics because robotics are pretty cool right now. You can automate them. You can do a lot of stuff, not only games, but actually practical stuff to do with robots. So, Nowadays, there are lots of resources, there are lots of problems to be solved. And this is kind of one of the, the problem-solving aptitude which keeps you up at night as a junior is something that's really exciting from an HR standpoint at the company. Uh, we do have a bunch of people who, like, let's say at our office, they have some video automation software for kind of sharing all sorts of TED videos or some other multimedia that we can kind of gather access to. We do have some other automation things to kind of open our front door or whatnot, like just trying to find problems to automate different, different uh, 
different challenges in our daily lives. So this is something that we really care deeply about. And of course, in the web development context, for the most part, that means solving problems for yourself. My very first applications, which were at high school, uh, well, not even high school, it was in yeah, probably third grade or so, uh, my very first scripts, I tried to automate my formulas for physics or whatever the name was for uh, little kids physics back mm. in the day, right? So I just typed really little tools in um, QBasic probably and just trying to automate all formulas so that I can do my homework. Then at the later stage, like two or four years later, I created a Visual Basic application, which was the Mendeleev's table with all the chemical elements, you know, the periodic table of elements that we study in chemistry. And like all those things were something that I said, well, I want it to be easy. I want it to be more visual. I want it to have access to those things. I don't want to bother with some formulas. So that's how I started solving problems back in the day. Excellent. Hey, two things I want to mention. Um, one, we as developers have our own language and we have to be very careful when we use it with um, non-muggles out there. Um, I was wandering through the airport uh, one day, I think it was the Atlanta airport, and you know, they've got a um, Brookstone. The Atlanta airport is a mall they park planes at. They, you know, it's, it's not really an airport, but um, they have a Brookstone there. And I was wandering through and they've got these little projectors and little itty bitty ones and they're really nice. And I was looking at one and the woman came by and asked me, um, well, what would you use it for? I said, well, I wanna plug it into a Raspberry Pi. She looked at me strange and like, isn't that going to get messy? <laughs> oh, then I had to go in and explain. So we need to be careful. Uh, but a comment on your, uh, your, your comment about passion. I love developers that are passionate about programming, but I know developers that are passionate about other things. We can't just say we're looking for passion because everybody's passionate about something. My wife works with a wonderful man who is very passionate about barbershop quartets. He loves singing in quartets. He sings, he competes nationwide, and that's his passion. He shows up at work at eight o'clock, does his job very well, but he goes home at five o'clock with almost just military precision. If there is an emergency, you know, he can be persuaded to stick around, but you know, unless there's, you know, unless servers are down or something, he's out the door. And he understands that you know, or his boss understands that that's what he hired. This guy is really passionate, but he's not passionate about computers. And those of us in the open source community, we have a tendency to be passionate about programming and about computers and geek stuff. And we have to understand that everybody is passionate about something. It's just how can we, you know, as, as hiring managers, how can we determine is that passion something that is going to help them in their career here, or can they do it without being passionate? Uh, I got a friend of mine, uh, Keith Casey, a uh, good friend of mine, one of my best friends, and he and I talk about developers that are, uh, I used to call them nine to five developers. You know, they show up at nine, they go home at five, and, and a lot of them are really good. Keith calls them dark matter developers. They're the <laughs> developers, we know they're there, but we can't find a way to detect them or get to them. They're not on Twitter every day. They're not on Facebook. They're not contributing products, but they're good developers. So, you know, I, I, I used to, and I think some of my original writings on um, hiring developers was look for passion, you know, look for, look for those people that go home and code. And I still like to do that, but I also want to know what else they're passionate about. And as I've grown older, my passions have changed. I still love coding, but my passion is scuba diving. And not only scuba diving, but teaching others to scuba dive. Well, how is that relatable to a job? Well, 
my passion is teaching other people. And I've chosen a, a, a vocation where I'm teaching other people in a life or death situation. Because at 80 feet, if something goes wrong, there's a really good chance you're not coming back. So we teach them, here's how to avoid things from going wrong, you know? And, and I don't want to scare anybody that's thinking about going scuba diving and, you know, a lot of stuff does not go wrong, okay, if you follow your training. But <laughs> that's my passion, but it translates into my vocation, which I can now, uh, I understand how to teach developers better because I teach people that are not developers and I start, I start applying those lessons to my development training. So passion is good, but we got to find the right thing that they're passionate about and is that applicable to what we need? There's some so, things we're passionate about. They're just not going to be applicable. Hey, I'm happy for you, but you know, it's not going to, you, you, it's not going to help you with your job. Uh, I really liked your analogy for the dark matter developer. And I actually think that there are three different categories of developers. So the first one are geeks who, you know, sit nine to nine or nine to one or whatever it is, just really hacking around because they really enjoy it. Like big time, we're going about real geeks, real nerds. So this is kind of one obvious category of developers. And to be completely honest, not every company can, can deal with those developers either because they tend to be more, uh, pushy for solving specific problems, sometimes more opinionated, more, you know, that there's a specific attitude that goes with being that passionate about the craft, right? Yeah. There's another category of developers, which is, you know, people who care about something else and, and work as developers simply because of the career opportunity or the financial opportunity, whatever it be. Uh, so this, you know, those are kind of the two extremes. And in the middle, there are also the 95 developers that are intrigued by their job, but they're really stick to a specific work-life balance. And we do have some of our colleagues here at the office and they are wonderful developers. They do, you know, sometimes they attend conferences or seminars or sometimes they read on courses. Sometimes they have internal projects. It isn't as frequent as the geeks, but sometimes they do that. Or whenever they have a problem, they say, well, it's going to be done slowly, but eventually I am going to do some R&D and, and kind of play with this. Mm -hmm. uh, but really, like after 7 p.m., unless it's a really critical emergency, they, they aren't going to, to kind of fit in. So what we have learned as a company and kind of what I also teach people who are looking for a job as interns or whatnot, just figure out which category do you fit in, right? Because every category has an ideal workplace to start at, right? Um, in a geeky workspace, you cannot be the only person who just works as a developer because it pays well and they want to do something else, be it singing, be it, uh, I don't know, um, uh, snowboarding or something else, right? So you cannot be the one who fits in there. If you're the geekiest person of them all, you can probably not fit really well in a large enterprise corporation because they move slowly. They have tons of processes and paperwork and bureaucracy and stuff like that. But being someone who needs to work on the tedious tasks, which are not really that pleasant and so forth, but enjoys doing that because it, it, it gets the job done and then they enjoy uh, what follows after work. This is a really good trade-off, right? They, they, yeah. they pay you to do the, the tricky stuff that nobody else wants to touch with a five-feet pole. Uh, at the same time, you're happy because it pays well and you can enjoy whatever you enjoy after hours. So I think that it really matters and it's really important to figure out which category do you fit in and then pursue the type of career opportunity based on that. Because if you apply 
for the wrong type of uh, company with the wrong type of culture, you're probably going to get burned and maybe disappointed and this may actually leave a scar on you uh, if you're more emotional and more introversion and things like that. But if you know where you stand and know what you want, just keep pursuing your own profile and look for the right type of career opportunity that matches your expectations and your goals. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Hey, Mario, it has been wonderful talking, you today, talking to you today. And audience, I hope you have enjoyed this conversation. And if not, at least enjoyed the Hawaiian Shirt Day celebration that we've been having here. So thank you so much. Hey, if you haven't done so already, go out to iTunes, find us on iTunes or Spotify or any of those. Subscribe to us so you don't miss a single episode. And make sure you share it with somebody on Facebook or Twitter or whatever your social media is. Share it with somebody else, another developer. If you're enjoying it and if you're getting value out of this maybe somebody else will also and of course if you enjoyed the episode we are always happy for a five-star rating this really helps us decide on what sort of topics are of interest to you so that we can record more shows of that type absolutely and make sure you leave us a comment on twitter we're um at no bs engineering let us know what you want us to talk about because otherwise we're just going to run through our list of uh, i don't know we've got like 50 episodes already planned yeah. out so but we'd love to insert yours in there thank you so much we'll talk to you next week bye-bye